Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to a very special revolution. Um, we have guest speakers. Actually, I've kind of dodged speaking for the past few weeks. That's been nice. Um, <clears throat> I've had some guest speakers. I was out of town. I was in Los Angeles visiting my mate, Pete Rollins. On Twitter, someone asked me, on Facebook it was, I was like, oh, I'm with my best mate, Pete Rollins. And someone was like, what do you mean by mate? And um, Instagram, I put a picture of us on my Insta stories, because that's where all the action is in the Insta stories. It's not the Instagram, it's the Insta stories for me. So if you don't follow my Insta stories, you're not really following me on Instagram. Um. So yeah, I put a picture of me and Pete, and then he has a jacuzzi where he lives at the apartment complex in the jacuzzi. And some guy was like, I hope you guys are wearing shorts. And everybody just like really hopes that me and Pete are together. <clears throat> and uh, it's not the first time that's happened. They either think we hate each other because we give each other such a hard time or that we're having sex, basically. So it's the two extremes. And neither are true at this point. Um, keeping my options open, though. Um, yeah, that's, so that's funny. But no, so I was in L.A. and had a great time and did the, um, the Fundamentalist podcast with Pete and Elliot Morgan, who's a comedian. And we did one about my mom. And it won't be out this Sunday, but it'll be out next Sunday. So I'm pretty stoked about it and kind of about how my mom represents the contradictions of America. It's really a cool interview. I also talk a little bit about my uh, suffering uh, that I went through. I, my separation, uh, now divorced, but my separation happened a year ago this month. Um, and... The next Meet Your Congregation. Is that one up yet? What? It's the next one? Um, I talk a little bit about my experience this past year. And this past year was really, really tough. Um, yeah, it was pretty much a nightmare. And, uh, and I'll be talking a little bit more about it. You know, this is Suicide Prevention Month. And so I feel like it's probably a good month to kind of cover some of those heavy places, that uh, dark places that I went. Um, so what's the story, Morning Glory? Um, Josh, or Joshua, Eric, and Jess are here from New York. Where in New York are you at? Long Island. Babylon? Well, yeah, we have a guest from Babylon. Now, Long Island... Josh sounds like he's from Long Island. Um, my best friend's mom growing up, when I was a little, little kid, she was from Long Island. She's from Long Island. She's like, Matthew, um, Jamie Charles. Um, uh, how did I meet Josh? Josh is our guest speaker today, Josh Eric. Did we meet on Instagram? Okay. We met in New York. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I got creepy guys following your fiance now on Instagram. Oh, that's right. Josh was our cheap graphic artist. And Josh did a few uh, flyers for me, speaking of Belfast and Pete, Pete Rollins, for my speaking engagement in Belfast. And uh, we went through a lot of drafts. He did some with snake handlers and stuff. I was like, I don't think I want to go that far. Um, but yeah, Josh has, has uh, been a good friend to me. Um, we talked a lot during this past year. Um, I remember one time hanging out. I was walking through Target, and me and Josh just chatting away about life. It's actually supposed to do their wedding, um, but I was really in the midst of my horrible divorce and was like, listen, I don't know if I even believe in marriage anymore, so uh, is there any way I could maybe not do your wedding because you probably don't want someone using air quotes the whole time he's <laughs> performing your wedding. <laughs> Till death do us part. Yeah. That's not even the worst, guys. One time I was, uh, I, I promised to do this wedding on a cruise. This was my first marriage, and I was divorced. And my ex-wife was friends with them. And I thought, of course she's not going to go on the cruise. Oh, she went on the cruise. So I did my first wedding after the divorce with her sitting on the beach with the other people. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So, yeah, life has been interesting for me. Um, but anyway, back to Josh. Um, Josh has been there for us. He's done a lot of different flyers, did our pride flyer, um, did our Empire Strikes Back buttons, um, Revolution Church and Empire Strikes Back. The saga continues. Um, this is a long introduction, huh? Um, he uh, also just recently has uh, did did a Meet Your Congregation. And um, I don't know if Jess listens, but if she does, maybe she should be on Meet Your Congregation. Um you can start listening. You've listened after today. You have listened, and you've had been in person, which is more than most of our congregation, um, including the ones here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we needed a website, and we put it out there. And of course, Josh was like, "I'll do your website." We had a few other people offer to do our website, but Josh did it, and um, which is really awesome because I'll be honest with you. I've been doing this for 20 some odd years and had a lot of people offer to do free websites. And one thing that people do when they offer to do free websites is they don't do your website. Um, <laughs> or it takes like a year and a half, you know, and you feel bad because the people are doing for you and you're like, you know, I can't ask them to do the website because they're doing it for free. But Josh did it and we got it up. So revolutionchurch.com, check it out. You can make donations there. Oh, you saw the website? Finally. See, we finally got... A, only took six years in Minnesota to get a website. And Minnesota time. Um, gosh, I guess I haven't been in front of a mic so long. I'm just like, talkie, 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 talkie. I also had a coffee this morning because I'm giving up diet sodas because they're giving me migraines. Um, this is like my fifth time doing that. I need to give up cigarettes, to be honest with you. That's probably not helping. <clears throat> I just feel like I'm drowning all the time. Um... That's probably not a good sign. Um, but yeah, so Josh has been a big part of what we're doing. Um, I don't know what he's talking about today. Um, 
but he's uh, been encouraging what we're doing and encouraging me personally and been a good friend and I'm grateful for him. And, uh, yeah. So without further ado, uh, please wash him, wash him. Welcome. Don't wash him. Just welcome. Josh Eric. Oh, hi everyone. Uh, Don't be fooled by me. um, speaking today. I've actually never done this before. So, um, I had a whole thing about my introducing myself, but I don't really have to, to do that, I guess um, the only thing I really have to add to that is I was invited here by Caleb doing Air of Grievance podcast, and I forgot what we were talking about, but I started to rant about David and Job and all that stuff, and he's like, man, you're preaching. I was like, ugh, accidentally. I don't didn't mean to do it. And so he said, would you want to speak at Revolution? And I was like, ugh. Like, my first inclination is no because I don't feel like I have anything too worthwhile to say a lot, but then I, I hate to let an opportunity pass me by. So I was like, you know what? It's a weird opportunity, and so I'll do it, and I'll see a Twins game. So, um, all right, you just breeze through the fr- – I was worried about how long this was going to be, so I just yeah. he just trimmed out a whole bunch for me. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, one thing that – up until some of recent talks I was nervous about is because um, back home in New York uh, on Long Island, I'm seen as like pretty radical with my theology and my beliefs. Um, I used to be asked to like write some articles for like a Christian website and then they're like, yeah, we're not going to publish those anymore. And, and, um, but then I'm hearing like, talks about from a church when you know there's like atheists and there's the you know, god is dead and you know like hail satan or whatever and i was just like i was like am i gonna be like the most conservative person there but like on in new york i'm uh seen as like way out there but the only reason i say that um i'm conservative is it doesn't have anything to do with politics because i'm very much not conservative in that sense but when it comes to like the bible i um I like. I believe it's true, and um, so I like. But I have a very loose grip on it. So if someone's like, "Yeah, I don't believe that it's true at all," I'm not going to fight them over it. I'm like, "Man, eh, it's, it's okay." Like believing it's true helps me, and um, I also love the idea of like a god that's so powerful that he doesn't need to speak in metaphors when he could actually just create the metaphor beforehand. So he doesn't need to. Be like, oh, my resurrection's like Jonah in this, you know, with the whale. When he could just put Jonah in the belly of a fish and be like, eh, that will come back later. And um, so, but like, I'm uh, I'm not dumb or blind. Like, I know it all seems impossible, and I don't have um, any answers for that at all. Because in the end, um, I know the Bible is very triggering, and that's because people will they hold on to it very tightly. Um, that it either all has to be true or none of it's true. When um, the thing is, it's not really full of contradictions once you realize that we have no idea what any of it means because it is, it's not written in, well, it's written in English for us, but originally it wasn't written in English. So at the very best, we're getting like the translation of a translation. And um, that, that issue has happened before. I'm sure everyone here has like a friend that maybe speaks a different language and they'll hear a joke in their language and they laugh at it and you go, oh, well, it's so funny. Like, I can't really, it doesn't work in English or something like that. And so I feel like the Bible is very much um, the same way. 
And then, um, so for a while when I was in college, I was thinking like, oh, if I learn the original languages, then I'll have a better understanding. Um, that led me to failing Greek two times. And um, <laughs> But the thing that I understood from that too is it's all still has a personal bias to it. You know, it's just like if um, anyone's ever sent a, a text message to someone that's meaning like, it's supposed to be very nice and then they read it wrong because of something that's going on in their life and they, they it totally hits differently. And so when we're translating it, our personal biases and things happen so it still gets lost in translation. Um, so like, I believe the Bible's true. I just don't understand um, any of it. And uh, so it's like the more I studied, the more I realized how little I understood and um, like, the band op ivy for any uh punk fans they uh all i know is that i don't know and so i'm sure someone said that much better than they did but that's the one that sticks out to me um but just because there's a gap in our understanding of the bible doesn't make it any less true because um these misunderstandings are as old as like before the bible was written you know, um, people were constantly telling Jesus, like, no, you're, you, you don't know what you're talking about, or you're blaspheming and stuff. And he's actually, if we believe, like, the Bible, like, the word of God, and he's speaking to these people in person in the language that they understand, and they still weren't understanding any of it. So I think that um, it's just it shows how little, like how loose we have to hold it because they didn't understand it from his, his mouth. And, um, so it still goes on today. I'm sure, um, Jay has his fair share of people telling him that he's like a false prophet and, uh, their denomination's correct. And you're, uh, going to hell or something like that. So the, um, the warnings of misunderstanding are, they run rampant and, it only comes to a head if we're going to like fight for it rather than just admit our own misunderstandings of it. So when someone tells me like, do you believe non-Christians are going to hell? I'm like, no. And this isn't like even uh, thinking about if hell's real or not. I'm just like, I don't think so because I don't know how any of it works because in America and other churches, I'm sure it's, you know, you have to say the sinner's prayer and let Jesus into your heart and that's how you're saved. And you do it in front of everybody and you have to do it like every Sunday. But, um, the, the thief on the cross, all he says is remember me, you know, like to our knowledge, he's not baptized or anything like that. He just says, you know, when you die, if you just think of me every now and then, and Jesus says, well, you're going to be with me in paradise, uh, today. And Paul and Silas, you know, uh, the guard that was supposed to keep them captive, they escape. They don't run away, but he's about to kill himself. And then they're like, no, don't do that. Like, everything's okay. And um, so he asks, what do I have to do to be saved? And they say, believe in Jesus, and you and your family will be saved. Like, their family didn't have to do anything. for. It. So it's, it's not contradictions if we, like, have that loose grasp on it. Because if we're very close-minded with it, it's like, well then how come this doesn't line up with this? And just like, well, it all lines up if you just admit that we have no idea um, what we're talking about. And then um, I just, I hate that we, like, we tend to take out these misunderstandings of the Bible and stuff on God himself, even though it's, it's on us and it's on the church's responsibility. And that always rubbed me the wrong way. 
because uh, ever since I was young, like I always wanted to be a prophet, but like not like splitting hairs, like, oh, if you preach the word of God, you're a prophet. Like I want to be an actual prophet, like doing miracles and everything like that. And then the older I got and the less <laughs> that stuff happened, the more I just realized in studying the prophets that um, all I really share with them is a history of doubt and depression. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but it it's kind of jarring when you see that like, oh, miracles don't seem to exist anymore. Or if they do, they're always like downplay, like, oh, I prayed for a parking spot and I got one. You're like, that's not like, that's coincidence. That's not like a miracle. Um, but it could feel like um, that God is dead or it's just all just fake nonsense. Um, but if you think about it, none of that actually matters because from where we're sitting, all we're getting are the stories from the Bible anyways. And um, just like a movie that moves you, you're not moved by the, any historical fact in it. Like I could be moved by Harry Potter and there's no witches in the school of wizardry in England. So the historical accuracy of something doesn't have to stop you from um, getting out of it or getting something out of it. And you don't need to... Um, put all your hope like if there's not an actual Adam and Eve all my faith falls apart like no it, do, it it just doesn't matter and we also we could perform like this surgery on the Bible where we separate you know what we've been taught in the church that doesn't really hold up to what's really there and we could use our own experiences because my favorite example is sadly a lot of um, church and Christians they use the Bible as a weapon they say like you know, God hates gay people, all gay people are going to hell. But then if you just stop and think, you're like, well, I don't hate gay people at all. Like, I love them very much so. And I should not be capable of any love that God himself is not, or herself, is not capable of feeling. So that right there shows that, like, God doesn't hate gay people because as mere humans, we shouldn't have more love and compassion for somebody than... Um, than God does. So um, I grew up in uh, a church like my whole life, very active, active family. I, uh, I have here that I survived going to a Christian college by uh, the skin of my teeth. And all that did was like I kind of looked too much behind the curtain. You know, I saw the man pulling the strings and levers and how the sausage is made. And it's just like this doesn't have anything to do with God or Jesus at all. It's just impressing each other and um, using the Bible as a weapon. You see Christians cannibalize each other all the time. And it's just it, it's just like, oh, this is all bullshit. Like, I, I do not like this at all. But as Jay has mentioned before, that like being haunted by God where you're just like, I, I hate everything. And I know hate's a strong word, so that's why I use it with church and Christians. Um, like, <laughs> like, I just hate everything about that, but I don't want to take that out on God. I don't want to take that out on the Bible. And, um, you know, the Bible says to love the Lord with all your mind. It says, you know, soul, heart, strength, and spirit, but it says with all your mind. And the church seems to discourage that, right? Just, I'm the, the pastor, I'm the deacon, the elder. This is what I say, the Bible says, and just believe it, and you'll be fine. But it's like, Jacob wrestled with God, and like, actual physical wrestlings, and any encounter there ever was with like demons or Satan. It was just kind of like 
shooing a fly away, like, oh, be gone, Satan. But with God, there's an actual wrestling of understanding and um, not giving up. And so I started to think of that more as I didn't want anything to do with with church or Christianity, and um, but still wanted everything to do with God and the Bible. And then I heard this passage. It was for the, like, the millionth time that I've heard it, but it was the first time I actually heard it. And it was um, when Jesus is walking the triumphant en- entry into Jerusalem, and there's this, the palms and the coats on the ground, and um, all the religious people at the time are saying, like, silent, like, just be quiet. Like, you're making too much noise. Like, we don't care who you are. And Jesus says that, um, you know, if all these people were to be quiet, the rocks and stones themselves would cry out with joy. And that, like, I don't know why that day it just, like, hit me very hard. And I just got this understanding that, like, anything could be used to show, like, God's truth, um, it, regardless of it's a person, place, a thing. Like, a rock has no feelings, but even that shout would shout out um, joy in, in God. And... Um, so I found that, like, oh, I could use anything. I could use Op Ivy. I could use Cormac McCarthy. I could use all these movies, video games, anything that strengthens my belief in God, um, regardless of the artist's intention. Because, you know, like, God, God's using of somebody isn't contingent on them believing in him. Like, he could use an atheist to speak uh, Truth, and you could, you know, you could use a Buddhist or a Muslim to give you this great understanding about Jesus in your own personal um, faith. And so I start to call myself like a Christian mystic or like a Sufi Christian because um, I would use anything at my disposal to help strengthen um, my beliefs because the truth is God's and it belongs to His and he, Him, and He could use it however God wants um, and use whoever he wants as his speaker. He's the microphone, and they're just the amplifier for his truth. Um, and that's also why I kind of stopped using the Bible when I talk to, to people, um, only because I know if they don't believe in the Bible, I might as well just use any fictionary, uh, fiction, fictional thing since the Bible's just fiction to them anyway, so it's not going to make... You know, in apologetics and stuff like that, they teach you like, oh, if they say this, hit them with this Bible verse. Like, but it doesn't mean anything to them. So what is that? Was uh, what's the point in that? And the one thing that I found is true in this kind of method is um, find out what is true, like true with like a capital T, and um, you have to just protect that, and everything else could fall away. Um, there's this play written in the '90s by a. Cormac McCarthy, who I talk a lot, like he's like my Caputo or like my Pete Rollins. Like I talk about him like a lot, and um, it's called the Stonemason, and all it is is a play about this guy remembering his grandfather who was a stonemason and he would build walls and chimneys and all growing up. And um, he tells the story of his grandfather making a wall, and he had this long wooden level. And he would use it to keep the, the wall level. And every once in a while, he would use a plumb line. And he would hold up the plumb line. And if he ever found that the level and the plumb line didn't match, he would take the level and he would just smash it. 
and it makes a point of saying that the, the stonemason didn't do this out of anger at all. It was to protect the trueness of the wall because nothing's going to be more true than a plumb line. Mm-hmm. And so if he kept putting his trust in this level that wasn't level, the trueness of the wall was um, just going to get crooked and, and everything like that. So... Um, that's what I find myself doing too when I read a story in the Bible or I have this thought or epiphany about God or a story that I read in the Bible is this I kind of find a plumb line to hold it up to you know it's uh so it's like you know does God hate gay people it's like no he doesn't so I just take that part and I just smash it and I never use it uh, or think about it again and um so mainly just as uh, Jay likes to talk about his friend Peter, I'll talk about my friend Peter, um, which is just a reference to a, an Alkaline Trio song. That's the only reason I want to say that. But um, So I've been thinking about Peter uh, in the Bible a lot. And originally I was going to talk about just my favorite story uh, of the Bible, which involves Peter. And then I was um, reading... All right, so I was like, oh, let me get more context for the story. And then the more I read... I was like really getting like into it and I was like oh wait no and it just I was thinking of all these things and my understanding grew more and more and more um so I figured that maybe I'll just tell you about Peter and then you'll also see kind of everything that I was mentioning before and how I take everything around me and dump it into the Bible to get a better understanding um because that's really what it's all about is to find something that gives you a better understanding of what you're reading so that it impacts you because we could listen online we could hear all these sermons from jay but if we don't let it change us it doesn't it doesn't matter like we could have just slept in or uh not listened and um so i with that in mind i think of the song um by the band me without you who is who I referenced more than uh, Cormac McCarthy, probably, but it's a uh, they have this song about a Beatle King, but like the actual bug, not like George, Paul, George, and Ringo. Like, um, but it's just like this. Um, it's like a farm or an estate, and there's like a, a a family, like a kingdom, and they have like a Beatle King. And what happens is all the the farm hands they're just cleaning up after the day, and they take all the the branches and leaves, and they burn them. Uh, in a pile across across the the farm, and the beetle king he sees this he doesn 't know what it is it 's just this glowing thing that happens every once in a while, and he 's like, "All right, enough is enough. I want to see what this is and he gathers everyone around and he 's like, "All right, we have to find out what this is and you know the this professor beetle is like i'm i 'm smarter than everybody, so let me go figure this out i 'll come back and i 'll um, tell you what it is." He comes crawling back because the fire burned his wings off and he's all singed. And he's like, King, I don't, like, it's so hot. It's like the sun, but it's more intense and you can't even get close to it. It burned me up. And the king's like, well, I didn't ask what it, like, seemed like. I didn't ask what it looked like. I asked, like, what is it? I don't know. And so they use another method of, like, well, I'm a warrior beetle. I'm strong. I protect the king. I'm stronger than anybody I'm going to go figure it out, and if I can, I'll even bring it back. And then he comes, he's all burned and defeated, and he's telling the king, he's like, it's, it's, 
it's like you can't even look at it. It's so bright and it's so hot and anything that you throw on it just gets eaten up and it gets stronger. And the, the king even says like, well, your description's just as flowery as the professor's. Like I didn't ask what it seemed like. Like tell me what it is. And then the, um, the king kind of has enough is, like, enough is enough. I'll figure this out. And what he does is he just goes and he flies directly into the fire. And everybody is, they're like mourning, like, ah, oh, the king is dead. But then the, the smart, like, wise beetles are like, no, he's not dead. Uh, instead, he's just got, he got turned into fire. Like, he let the fire change him. And that's what his mission was the whole time. He didn't want to know what it was, what it looked like, what it smelled like. He wanted to know what it is. And so to do that, he just had to dive headlong into it and um, be consumed by it. And that is when I approach the Bible or hearing a message or something, and I'm sure it even drives my wife crazy how much I'll see a movie and then I'm like, no, I have to change everything now. This really affected me. She's like, really? It was like Halloween. Like, I don't know Mike Myers affected me. He's like, no, you don't understand. Um, and also you'll find I tend to paraphrase like the Bible verses more than anything because I feel like it helps with the flow of a story. But if I reference anything, I do have it written down if you want to know what the actual Bible reference is because I, I won't really read it. Um, so back to Peter. So um, I was originally going to talk about something like clever, like the three times Peter's faith has gotten him out of a boat. But then I was like, that's like youth groupy, like cheesy pastor. And it was like, I didn't want anything um, to do with that. And um, at the same time that I was trying to think of something that I knew I wanted to talk about Peter today, I have a friend um, at home, and he was really much a, a mentor to me. He's like roughly my dad's age. And um, it was, he was someone that my mom actually reached out and was like, ah, Josh is having a hard time with male figures in his life, if you could step up. And he did, and um, ever so grateful for him. But we were having this kind of um, exchange and again, talking about lost in translation, it was through text. So every text he sent, I read like, this guy's trying to get me to go to church. Like he thinks I'm like backslidden and everything I said, he's taken as like, why is he telling me that church is not important? But it was just a miscommunication. And um, But the good thing that came out of that is he mentioned that Peter calls us to be living stones. And I've it's not like the, the rocks and stones will cry out when it was the first time I really heard it. It was like actually the literal first time I've ever heard that. I was like, I, and I just couldn't shake that at all, like living stones. And then, of course, I remember I did hear it mentioned one other time in a Me Without You song, um, but it, where the line goes, uh, tell all the stones we're going to make a building will be cut into shape and set into place. Because um, the actual verse, this one I will read, um, is from a letter that Peter writes and he says you also are like living stones so let yourselves be used to build a spiritual temple and so now I had this idea of living stones in my mind so I was like all right let me go reread everything I read about Peter just with this filter on and um I don't, do you guys know the the meme with Charlie Day and he's like smoking cigarettes and there's all these like conspiracy red strings behind him and he's all like strung out? That's kind of how I started to feel like when I was reading it with this filter because I was like, this changes everything. This is crazy. And um, because he, it's basically towards the end of the Bible, Peter tells people where to be these living stones. 
And when I was rereading that, that's his kind of one of his endpoints that he gets to. Like then I saw this whole journey that he went on, and because um, Peter is so human, like he's constantly just stumbling and messing up. And um, I used to think that Jesus was very hard on him, but then I realized that no, he was just kind of like directing him to get to this understanding um, that this is going to be very important for you. So you just kind of need, let me gently steer you in this direction. And it was cool because um, Peter's like humanity and his doubts, it never deterred Jesus like, or his view of him. Like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I messed up with this guy. I have no idea. Um, It doesn't stop him at all uh, because Peter gets a vision in act, in the book of Acts that I think it all leads up to, and that's what give, gives him this idea of the living stones. And um, it, I just picture Jesus being like, okay, like not saying this to Peter, but you're going to receive this vision, and I need to know that you're going to be able to understand it because it is, if you're going to be the cornerstone of the church and the rock that everything's built on, this is this is why this vision that you're going to get is um, what you need to understand. And that's why you'll see things like where um, it's, it always seems to say in the Bible that like Jesus says to Peter, Jesus mentions to Peter. And one funny example is when uh, the religious people at the time, they try to trick, uh, they try to trick Jesus all the time and get him um, to commit blasphemy but Jesus is like smarter than that. But they go like, "Oh, does your does your rabbi pay the temple tax?" And Peter's like, "Yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't he?" And he's so excited to tell Jesus that he like told off these Pharisees. And I love it because the Bible says before Peter could talk, Jesus cut him off. And it's basically like Jesus, like, "No, okay, well, I don't actually pay the tax because you're not getting this." Okay, so if my dad's the king the children of the king don't pay the tax. Everybody else pays the tax. And, um, but, so it was just funny that it's like, Jesus, I understood it. And Jesus is like, no, you didn't again, but okay, we're going to get, we're going to work with you and we're going to get you there. And I love that scene too, because Jesus even says, all right, we don't pay tax, but we don't want to offend them. So here's some money and go uh, pay the the temple tax, which I thought was very refreshing because we seem to live in, um, at a time where church and Christians are kind of like, I don't care if it offends people. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. I'm going to keep the Christ in Christmas. It's like, but Jesus himself is like, no, if it offends them, like, let's just make it easy on them. Let's not offend them. Because he didn't have to pay the temple tax, um, but he did just for that. If I could uh, jump back to the that play I mentioned before with uh, the stonemason, um, there's just a, a quick little scene in it where the stonemason is asked on his like 90th birthday if he wants to lay the keystone of a, a bank. And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. They get the bank's um, vice president to ask him personally. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Because he found out that um, the bank is laying like cut stones, hewn, hewn stones. And he's like, I've never laid a hewn stone in my life, and I'm not going to start now. Because all the chimneys and walls that he built were just from rocks that he found and he made fit. And uh, as the scene goes on, he says, um, he talks about that, like, um, that the 
in the biblical times, the way you would shape or hewn a stone is slaves would do it for you. And he said that God's not a God's not a God of slavery, so he's not going to have any um, slaves make the stones that are for his altar. And so I was looking into that, and in the the book of Exodus, and I think Deuteronomy, when Jesus lays out the rules for his temple, he says that he doesn't want hewn stones to make his temple. He doesn't want it built by the pretty rocks that slaves built. He wants it built by rocks that you find where they are, as they are. And um, and so when I was starting to think of that in terms of living stones that build God's altar, that he doesn't want us... Um, Shaped as the the church will try to like shape us, you know, uh, a Christian acts this way, a Christian doesn't speak this way, Christians don't smoke, they vote Republican, they do all this stuff, and um, it's just they're trying to mold us and shape us. But God's not a a God of slavery and hewn stone, and He wants His church to be built of these living stones that are found where they are, as they are, and just um, assembled uh, together because. We all have our roles, and we can only fulfill them in the way that we are. And I think of uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea in um, the story uh, in the Gospels. A lot of sermons, I don't know if anyone here is different, but when I've always heard it, it's like Nicodemus was too scared to follow Jesus, so he followed him at night. And Joseph of Arimathea was like a secret follower. And there's almost like this shame that's put on them uh, for that. But the the problem was, with a sermon like that, the problem is that when Jesus is arrested and he's tried and he's put to death, all of his disciples, except for maybe John, but he also wrote that he was there, so I don't know if I trust that, but like, so all of his disciples were scattered to the wind. They just ran. And it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who used their status and their money and their role in the society to get Jesus' body down so that they could bury him by the, the proper customs. And, uh, and the thing is, we're all seen, like, we were kind of taught um, to see them as like, oh, they're ashamed of God. And it's like, no, look, they had their specific role. They were like these natural living stones that if they were hewn the way everyone else was, they wouldn't have been able to do this. And it's very much like... Um, when Mary anoints like Jesus with the perfume and he says, she's given me what I needed right now. And that's what they were able to do um, for him. And yeah, I think there's a quote, I think it's a, a more attrib- attributed to uh, Einstein about like everybody's a genius, but if you judge a goldfish on its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life thinking it's useless. And, um, and uh, the band Beirut has a similar uh Line where it compares the fires of a campfire and a candle. And they're both fire, they're both flames, but you can't expect the candle to do what the campfire is is doing. But that doesn't make the candle any less of a, a flame. So, all right, now we'll get back to Peter. I have a very, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, yeah. style of telling stories where I'll jump, be, this is the end, and then we'll go to the beginning, and then let me go to the middle. So... Um, and so we're with Peter, and Jesus has this view, like, Peter, you're, the whole future of everything depends on you. Like, you are the rock, you're the cornerstone. And um, 
But we all we do is we see these like almost moments of Peter's. So like to know that he's so important, we see him. Yeah, he'll get out of the boat, and but then he takes two steps and starts to sink. And he um, he's like, no, I understand. Um, I understand everything you say. And then he's like using his sword to attack people. And Jesus is like, okay, you know. Um, but I think that his humanity and constant failures is probably why he is this cornerstone of faith because. I don't want to speak for everybody else, but like, you know, what would Jesus do? That never helps me at all because like, he's like the perfect example, like the lighthouse, you kind of like the beacon of light you, you sail to in the darkness, like to focus on. But what would Jesus do? It's like, I don't know. He, he never slept with a coworker. Then I see them the next day. So why am I using that? Like, what would he do? And, um, but Peter is like, you, you get it. You're like, Oh, I understand. He's so sincere in this moment, but then, trips like two two seconds later and um like even when he's like i think he's sincere when he says like jesus i'm with you to the end i'll never doubt you and she's like well you will three times actually in about 20 minutes so um but it's like we could all relate to someone that's sincere and set on fire in that moment and then just can't like pull the trigger on it and i like that None of this is a surprise to Jesus. It, it doesn't ever blindside him because, you know, oh, like, Lord, help me, I'm sinking. Well, that's because you didn't believe. I don't know what to tell you. Or I won't deny you. Yeah, you will. I just told you that you're going to. And um, But he knows that Peter, he, he has, he can't compare, like, his ability to climb a tree or his flame. Like, he knows... No, he's got fire, but he's only a candle at the moment. I can't expect him to have this campfire uh, ex- understanding that he will in the future. And so Jesus uh, works with him. He seems to set up like teachable moments. Uh, like when he walks on water, that only happens because Jesus sends the boat away. He's like, I'm going to go pray. You got, But they're on like an island. So it's definitely setting something up. And even the um, when... Peter, they're in the garden, and he takes his sword out, and he goes to kill the the guy arresting Jesus, but the guy, he luckily dodges and only gets his ear cut off. Moments before, Jesus is telling them, basically, like, I'm not going to be here, so you guys are going to have to, like, toughen up and actually go sell your coats and buy buy two swords. And Peter's like, oh, we have a sword here. He's like, all right, that will do. So he like makes sure moments before that they're going to have a sword on them. And it kind of is, it it does parallel the lesson that Peter will learn that there, this guy is um, that Jesus healed the ear. He's no, he's not um, unworthy of healing and love from Jesus just because of the action that was happening at the time. So it seems like Jesus has this view for Peter and he is doing everything he could think of from miracles to scolding to everything to, to veer him um, in that way. And as we know from Jesus telling Peter what will happen, like you will deny me and everything, that it's Jesus chooses Peter because of all these shortcomings not like uh, he's not like just seeing past them uh, because he knows what's going to happen and he still chooses him because of that so it's all the the stumbling and tripping that he's doing that Jesus is like this is my guy this is this is what the church is going to be built on and 
at one point, this is where kind of the uh, the Charlie Day meme comes out because at one point uh, Jesus calls Peter the son of Jonah. Now it could be very literal for all I know. Like Peter's dad could be named Jonah, and it's just oh, you're the son of Jonah. But I also know from two other disciples that Jesus called the sons of thunder because they had very uh, bad tempers. And every time someone accidentally kicked dirt up, they're like, you want us to rain fire on them? We'll do it. We'll like scorch this place. And um, so he would call them uh, the sons of thunder. And so I was like, all right, so let me, let me follow this thread. Let me reread the book of Jonah and just see if I see anything, like if he's doing one of those living metaphors that I mentioned earlier. And so just the quick overview of Jonah is that, um, you know, God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh, save these people. And uh, this is about the worst thing that Jonah could think of because he hates them and he's scared of them. But he also knows that if he does that, God will forgive them and save them. And he doesn't want that at all. So he's basically like, which way is Nineveh? Like, oh, that way. He's like, all right, I'm heading to Joppa, which is the opposite direction. And, um, of course, we know, like, he he ends up in the water. There's a whole reason why, but he ends up in the water, swallowed by a great big fish, spits him up exactly where he needs to be uh, on the shores of Nineveh. And so he does his job, but he's just definitely not happy about it. Everyone is saved from, like, people to animals, and he's just miserable and angry and um, just... I guess just like me and a lot of other people, when th- the slightest thing doesn't go your way, you're like, well, I wish I was dead. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And um, so he's sitting under a tree that only that's given him shade. It's like one of the only trees there. And um, he sh- forms a strange attachment to this this tree that's given him shade. And so God just has the the tree eaten up and devoured. So he has no shade and no comfort and then he's like, well, now I really want to die because my life can't get any worse. And God's basically like, well, you're unhappy because I got rid of this tree that you didn't even know existed until you sat underneath it. Like, you just learned of this tree. And um, so how can you not understand that these people, like, I created these people. They're my creation. So, like, I'm, I love them so much more than you love this tree that you were just sitting under for five minutes. And um, then the book just ends. I don't know if anyone's read the book of Jonah, but it's constantly the one that you're like, wait, what? Like, you're looking to see if a page fell out because it just ends, like, out of nowhere. Um, so we'll, we'll put a little pin in that because I'm sure Quentin Tarantino will bring that back uh, in, a, in a little bit. So... N- my favorite story in the Bible, which I referenced, um, which is kind of what got me headed in this direction, was after um, Jesus dies and he comes back to life, um, all the disciples are just like, well, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go back to fishing because I'm a fisherman and that's what I know. And so Peter's fishing and not having any luck, and then a mysterious figure shows up on the beach and is like, hey, any luck? And like, no, there's no fish here. And he's like, oh, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. And like, uh, no offense, but we we know what we're doing. So just do it. And then it like occurs to him, like, oh, dip. This is like what Jesus did back in the day. And he realizes that it's Jesus. It's a hot day, so he's not wearing any clothes. Peter, this is not wearing any clothes. He just sees Jesus and just jumps off the boat and swims to him. Comes to him completely 
exposed and bare and just completely how he is. And uh, they get to have this kind of um, reconciliation where they're sitting around um, talking and eating and Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, yeah, of course I do. And he's like, well, then feed my sheep for me. And he's like, yeah, of course. And then moments later, Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yeah. He's like, then like tend to my flock, please. And then a third time, um, he, Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? And he gets like hurt. Like, why did you think that? Not realizing, maybe I asked you three times because that's the exact number of times you denied my my existence. So it's like he gave him a chance of that like like of that forgiveness uh, mainly for himself I would think cuz I doubt Jesus was holding any sort of grudge but it's like you denied me 3 times I'm going to give you 3 times to like basically apologize and ex- express that you love me. And um that's where he uh he tells him um Jesus tells Peter after he for the third time said he loved them. He said, uh, when you were young, you went wherever, um, wherever you wanted. In the future, you will go where you don't want to go, which um, there's a, like a footnote in the Bible that says it'll talk about how Peter's going to be killed for Jesus. And But um, I'm kind of separating that because it um, of a connection that I found. And there's also just a great little footnote here of when uh, Peter goes, oh, if you know what's happening to me, tell me about John. And Jesus is like, focus on me. Like, don't worry about John. If if I want him to live forever, he'll live forever. And that's always refreshing, too, because uh, I'm sure a lot of us were turned off to church in the first place because it's always like, did you hear about Caleb? Blah, 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 blah. And um, when it should just be like, no, just focus, focus on me, and uh, I'll take care of him the way I see fit. So Peter's vision in the book of Acts, which is all this backstory is leading to is um, he received it three times because that's apparently the number of times Peter needs anything for it to sink in. And um, what it is is that he is he's tired and he's hungry and he sees this uh, sheet come down from heaven and on the sheet there's all sorts of animals um, and God or the vision, the voice in the vision says kill these and eat them. And Peter's like, I'm, I've never eaten anything that's unclean or unholy, so no, nah, uh, I'm not going to do that. And God tells him, how could you call them unclean and unholy? Like, I created them. That, that's my creation. So if I create them, it's nothing unclean and unholy about it. And um, this happens two more times before Peter kind of gets an inkling of what it's about. And now if we all rewind a little bit because at the same time this vision's happening there's a man called Cornelius and he gets a vision in which the voice says um, go to this house the man that owns the house is named Simon and you talk to Simon and in there there's a man he's like housing a man named Peter find Peter bring him back to your house and it's only when Cornelius finds Peter that Peter kind of is like oh wait you're not Jewish, so I shouldn't be able to go with you. Um, It's kind of against our laws that it um, occurred to him, oh, wait, hold on. There's nothing unclean or unholy about this man because God created him just as he created me. And that's what this vision was about. Um, 
that normally where I would have nothing to do with you because our religions and lifestyles don't line up, you are clean and holy because you're made um, by God. And so I kind of ran this new, this vision through that, um, that Jonah filter that I had with the, the strings connected because it is um, the same principle that Jonah was basically being told too that like, no, the people of Nineveh, they're not unclean and they're not unholy. Like I created them and so they're worthy of my love just as you feel you are worthy of it. And um, it's a seed that was planted in Jonah, but it never grew um, because he also tried to run from it instantly, but he, he also didn't have Jesus's three years of just honing him to go like and helping him to um, when he gets this vision that it will land with the impact that he did. He was, he wasn't uh, prepared for it. And um, so, whereas like Jonah sulked under a tree at the end, like uh, man, I can't believe he saved them. That's the lesson that he learned from it. Whereas Peter learned the actual lesson of like, no, there's no unclean and there's no unholy. And, um, and he does uh, let this change him because uh, that's where we start to get the idea of living stones. Whereas like, no, no stone is different than the other. Like just because it's not molded and hewned and shaped doesn't mean that it's unworthy. Um, and actually this is what God wants. And uh, Peter definitely had his reservations with it too because the vision also told him, like Peter, also do this without doubting. Like that's what it says. And it's like, well, he clearly has Peter pegged. And so was there any real connection to like the son of Jonah? I don't really know. But all I know is that the Jonah ran to the city of Joppa or Joppa to catch the boat. And the... Um, Paul received his vision in the city of Joppa. And so he's like, oh, dip. Like, maybe there is something to that. So, um, but that's where we could kind of see that Peter, um, why he's said to be the cornerstone and the, the, the rock that the church is built, because that's the lesson that we learn in Galatians, right? Do you guys study Galatians in this church? I'm not, I'm not really sure. But um, there's no, no Jew nor Gentile, right? Like everybody's the same. And uh, it, that's a very much a good break from how the Bible is usually used to divide like sheeps and goats and clean and unclean, where it's constantly saying like, no, like the rock that our church is built on is from the understanding that there is no unclean, there is no unholy, there's no Jew nor Gentile, and um, and that sets a precedent for how we should see each other and how we're seen um, from God. Because I know whenever it's hard to shake the teachings of the church if you grew up in the church. So if you do something wrong, you're constantly beating yourself up over it. Like I'm a, uh, I'm not a good Christian. Do I even believe? Um, but it's we have to remember that Peter was picked also for this vision because of his humanity. And the humanity doesn't stop there because in Galatians, Paul has to kind of remind him, like, you had this vision, man. Like, what do you... Because he starts to separate himself again from the Gentiles. And Paul's like, dude, you, we, you're the one that like had this vision. And so there's always um, 
being able to like correct each other and receive correction um, and that we don't like throw away everything like that we learned just because we stumbled because if if Peter didn't receive that correction from Paul, he could have thrown away the whole uh, vision that he had, and the whole church would, the whole foundation of the church would crumble. Um, or there's that that line like "fail again, fail better," you know. And so it's just like, don't constantly. We shouldn't beat ourselves up for every time we stumble. Um, but just just like the right amount, where like you're not kicking yourself forever, but it's enough that you don't do it again, and. Um, just remember that like we are these living stones that make up the church and we're used like as we are where we're found just like Peter and Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and like we just have to kind of like rest in that fact that um, we don't need to be hewn by people and molded and and shaped um, we're not unclean and we're not unholy because we don't fit that mold because we're called to be these living stones and that's what makes up God's church his altar is stones where they are and where they're found and like so like to hell with being perfect because uh, you can't really build a church on that and that's my time thank you (laughs) we still on still recording thanks to everybody for listening listen if you want to this is a bit redundant because we have a voiceover afterwards that says you can give but we also have a new P.O. box, so if you want to send snail mail, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and look up our new P.O. box that's next to my house, so I won't ignore it. Um, I let the other one run out. Oops. It was downtown, and then they closed it, and then they moved it further downtown, so that was a pain. Um, but yeah, we could really use your donations. Um, this past year has been a tough year, and we've been down about 18% in the giving. I only know that because our financial guy told me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So um, every little bit really does help keep us going and uh, makes things happen. Um, we're going to pass the hat, but we don't need you to be online to hear that. But um, but make sure you listen to the afterglows because they're pretty awesome. And uh, I got a really cool compliment today on uh, Twitter about the afterglow. And um, also meet your congregation. And if you're part of the congregation, go to Instagram and hit us up or go to revolutionchurch.com and send us an email because we would love to interview you and get other people to meet you and talk to you and see what you think about revolution and how we can even be better at revolution. But thank you for listening. This is Revolution Church. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. That was a post-Christian podcast.